Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association based at Wirtz University, Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast engages with issues about university life relevant to students and staff looking in South Africa, Africa and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular area. My name is Nosipum Gomezulu. And I'm Kolega Shani. And, and we are your hosts. hosts. Welcome to the second season of 2017 of The Academic Citizen. Um, as we were talking last season, my co-host Mejita has gone on sabbatical, much excitement which means we will be engaging with a new host for this season. Hello, hello. This episode is to introduce our, our new co-host and just to get to know her a little bit better and talk about what we're you know, interested in exploring together this season. So without further ado, welcome, Colega. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> My name is Kolea Shange and I am a black woman in the world. A black woman in the world? Yeah. So a little kind of like background into how you and I met, I think would also be useful for people listening to our show today. Okay. Uh, Kolega and I met in Grahamstown while we were both working in the NGO community organization Ish. space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe you can share with us, you know, what has your journey been moving from Kind of working with community-based organizations, working in the non-governmental space, civil society space, and then switching up gears into your PhD, working within a university environment. What's that journey been like for you, Holmes? <laughs> it sounds like I have done the most. I think it was kind of organic. Um, having left an NGO based in Johannesburg, working with photographers, mm. it only made sense that I go to another NGO, but I was just tired of working solely with, you know, young people concerned about the latest Adobe software, um, thinking about photography as a tool in which one can start to think about the environment, to think about social issues, using photography as a, as a, as a tool for social change. So that was very interesting for me, but I just felt like uh, I needed a change. I needed um, to be in touch with an environment that kind of mimics where I'm from. So mm. I needed to be like in a township space because that's where I was born. And I just felt like you can get quite complacent mm. in spaces where all you are talking about are like images and representation and so on and so on. So I thought, let me do something more grassroots. You mm. know? And that's when um, I applied to go work in Gramstown for a project called um, Upstart Youth Development Project. So working with young people based in the big, big township of Joza. I hate saying just Joza because there's so many yes, sections in there. Areas, yeah, yeah, they're different areas. So people just think the only township in in Gramsan is Joza, but there's Klalani. There's all sorts of things about Fingo and that. So yeah, when I got that job, I was very excited, but I think I didn't quite understand the weight of what I'd be taking on. So I went there as a program manager and kind of like still like community media stuff. So we're gonna be teaching kids how to use cameras, how to write, to tell their own stories basically. Mm. So it wasn't like, I mean, the shift in my mind, mm. in my mind, it wasn't like that big. It's like, yeah, I come from an NGO in Joburg, now I'm going into, you know, an NGO in Gramsan. It's 
pretty much like the same thing. And I remember like they were asking me as they were interviewing me. It's from NGO to NGO, so I'm pretty familiar with the community development sector. And so I don't think that I'm going to have any issues adjusting. And I remember the director at the time saying, you know, but you do realize that you're moving from a well-known, established um, NGO based in a big city to a small, unknown um, NGO based at Luxini. So the dynamics are completely different. Somehow I heard that, I heard it, but somehow it just didn't quite click until I was there. But ain't that the thing, right? So you, we, we think of like, there's just a community. Yes. There is blackness, there's womanness. There yeah, are all it's all like the same. Political nouns that we use every day. Yeah. And yet in practice, I mean, as we were chatting earlier, in practice, how it translates is always going to like bring up different things yeah. depending on the context, depending on the mood, depending on what you read that day, depending on what fight you had. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was completely, completely complex. <laughs> so I went there with like solutions in my mind. I'm going to go there and teach. I'm going there to teach. I'm coming there with all my knowledge, you know, having a master's in film and television. I remember that was one of the things that I highlighted. Uh, I've made films, um, I've got the knowledge, I'm a master of this thing, so don't worry, I got this on lock. And I got there and I didn't have anything on lock. I'm just like there, um, and it's like, um, and you don't want to alienate yourself too much, so mm. I think it's always best to learn from the people. So, um, yeah, got there. First thing I understood was I need to learn is Salana because if I'm going to be communicating with people, about what clause then surely you need to understand Tiwan, right? So that was one of the first things I learned, La Payana. So it was kind of like a, a rethinking of some sort mm. in terms of my approach to not just the project in itself, but just the place. It's so far away. I felt so displaced from home. But on top of that, I had my own things, you know, Zulu things. Your own things. <laughs> I had my own Zulu things, you know. You come there with your Zuluness intact because it's so precious in your mind. And then you get there and it's not so precious. And no, you might adjust to the environment but isn't is, that's i mean it's partly the journey of adulting and growing yeah. up that like there's a big bad world out there but it's also one of the big experiences of going into higher education is just like for many of us it's not our world at home it's like yeah. a completely new space and so you come with like as you're saying these precious boxes that you're like okay this mm. is these are the studios i will not be touched on these are things i'm going to walk through the university mm. and it will not be you know affected and, but we know so many things, the way we talk, what we read, how we talk about what we read, all those things, like, you know, yeah. become undone, I guess, and also re reformulated. And some things we kind of like dredge back from the dustbin pile that we threw them away in. Mm -hmm. Some things we're like, oh my gosh, I should have let go of that ages ago. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when I went there, even though, I mean, I had my own preconceived notions around like what it would mean to be in Gramsang, but at the same time I was open. So when I got there, I wasn't like thinking, I mean, I learned very quickly that I don't know everything yeah. and that actually the community is going to tell me what it needs. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So initially, I mean, I think for about a week or so, I came in with that attitude that I'm the, I'm the expert in everything. But as you start to engage with these kids, you realize actually they're not kids. <laughs> <laughs> they're young people with great minds. Mm. And actually you let them direct you because they're the ones who live in the space. They're the ones who know, you know, also like just the the everyday things you know this is what we need 
this is where we go to school. This is these are our experiences, that kind of thing. So I can't come from Johannesburg or from KZN and start dictating. Mm. Okay, this is this is the program. It's either you fit or you don't. Mm. You know, it was that kind of a thing. So I had to do a lot of unlearning, which is very difficult mm. because you are the master. You have a master's. So you know everything, and I think that was my approach in the other NGO. That was the approach in the, in, in the other NGO that I knew everything. It was like okay, Belinda Kolega Chang, a critical writing a trainer. You know, I know all the things. I can deconstruct an image and tell you all the ways in which it's problematic. And then you get to a real life situation where you're not dealing with an image, but an actual person. Yeah, that right. Has their own ideas and everything, and you're just like, uh, actually, I'm not the master here. I don't know everything. So teach me. So that was the approach. But I also realized that there was like a, a close knit community of like people that actually cared. That's one thing that I miss. So, I mean, the things that you're saying resonate so much with what we're trying to do in this podcast about like pedagogy, about representation, mm. about language. Like these are the big questions and you just like, boom, in your intro experience in Gravestown are like just yeah. being hit with all these things. <laughs> so how is that kind of like, how has that influenced how you engage now as somebody who sessionals here? Well, who sessionals adverts? Mm. How like how is that experience of working from an NGO space, CBO space, yeah. to higher education institution again? I guess returning. Yeah. Returning. Um, I think. I think the first couple of weeks kind of preparing for the course that I was going to be teaching on black feminism, I was very cognizant of the fact that I come from this community development sector now and it not being enough for me to just theorize, mm. you know, theory was just, it just became like, it, it's just not enough for me. So when I was putting together the curriculum, I thought about all the ways in which this theory had to make sense in real life. Mm. I had to bring it to life and because you're talking about black feminism as a movement you need to kind of contextualize it historically and then talk about America and bell hooks and all these people um, because a lot of the students actually in the school of arts I mean were hearing about which is what was very surprising to me hearing about feminism for the first time Hmm. So that was kind of weird. So never mind black feminism. Mm. Uh, people are just like, feminism, what, what's that? Isn't it a thing where you hate men? You do this it's, and that. it's so intense, right? And, and I used to get very tired by hearing all the academics and my uh, lecturers and supervisors saying, you young people have no sense of history and context. And I was like, I'm a student of politics. I'm a student of history. I know yes. these things. But we take for granted that we're all experiencing this like knowledge and these ideas in like a linear progression you'll first be introduced to this concept and then this one and then mm. this one but it doesn't happen like that our education doesn't happen like that and it's such a disservice when we walk into the classroom and we're just like you should have known about the enlightenment you should have known mm. about mm. martin luther and these experiences before you came into my class so that i can now pick up from where yeah. you know someone left off but like often enough in universities in this country and around the world we don't know who are the people who left off. We don't know what exactly. experiences people bring into the classroom. And if we take for granted, we'd say, oh, you should have known feminism by now. I'm just going to take you to the next level of black feminism. Exactly. How, how do you know, though? <laughs> exactly. So I think, I think my experience, actually, 
within the and 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 I think there's a difference between my experiences in Johannesburg and my experiences in the Eastern Cape. Oh yeah. You know, because like I said, I mean, here I was dealing with like different problems. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I mean, like it was still like okay, you're dealing with young people. Tolugutumuntu doesn't come for a session. Um, at market photo workshop because they don't have taxi money. So mm-hmm. you're still dealing with that, but that is not the core of the program. So all you're dealing with is just teaching them photography and, and that's where it ends. But with the, with this particular program at, 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 um, in Graham Sound, it was slightly different because I was now responsible because then soon I became a director of, of the program mm-hmm. and I realized that actually it's not sufficient to just instill these skills when a young person can't even think because they are hungry. <laughs> sure. So at times there was no water. Um, there was no way that we could have like, a, I don't know, Adobe Premiere to edit our videos on, or I don't know, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever programs that you need for, I don't know, video making or anything like that. It wasn't a priority anymore. You had to hear stories like, no, at home, this is what's going on. We don't have water. We don't have this. So I had to address those things first before I could address issues of visual literacy or anything like that. So, no, you're raising such an important question, though, about, like, what is our job, Gashiash? So I tell my family, and they're like, what do you do at the university? <laughs> I shape minds. <laughs> but... But it's also, and it's, it's such, a, I'm looking at um, episode 40 we did last season, discussing uh, gender gap in, in higher education. Okay. And one of the things that uh, really struck me was that there's this tension about, like, on the one hand, we, we care so much about our students and their lived experience. I was speaking to Dr. Asanda Benya from uh, UCT, and they were saying in the, in, the, in the interview that we did that there's this constant tension of kind of, you are there to impart, I guess, some knowledge. Mm. You want to be an empathetic person. You want to be there for your students. Mm. But then overwhelmingly, especially as young black women, you end up taking on responsibilities that might not be our jobs. Yeah. So this is the thing that I'm still asking myself, like, what is our job? Is our job to simply turn up in a lecture hall, discuss bell hooks, discuss black feminism, or what happens when a student wants to talk about, you know, there's no taxi fare, there's not enough, you know, time at home to be working mm. on assignments because life and work and all these other things. I think it's, it's, it's something that we should actually think about for the season and like, mm. how do we contextualize what our jobs are as we speak of decolonization, as we talk about opening access up, as we also have to talk about the kind of invisible labor that certain bodies have to do this Mm. process. Mm. Which bodies are in charge Mm. of listening to students' problems? Yo, invisible labor. Yo, it's, it's something that I think is, is so key to yeah. what you're raising about like what do what do we do about the fact that these are three-dimensional whole students and yeah. we are three-dimensional whole partially knowledgeable academics mm. and then what, what do we what do we do with these tensions of like for me I had a bit of power mm. uh, in that situation because as the director you decide the vision <laughs> the vision of, 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 of the organization and one of the things that I said was you know that it is important to address the basics yeah. I don't see how you can teach visual literacy when someone is hungry mm. they can't focus so we ended up having you know at least like have sandwiches mm. and juice before people start engaging on that level mm. um, and it, it was uh, an after-school program so you can imagine someone who's been 
at school from like eight in the morning till like I don't know two o'clock and then three o'clock they have to be part of this program and you don't know when last they ate mm. so also it's about practicing so it's what I was saying about the black feminism course that it was very important for me for this theory to come alive mm. and so I didn't push for students to write uh, essays that are I don't know four thousand words long and and really are theorizing for theory's sake but we required people to think outside of traditional modes of creating knowledge. Mm. So if you can put together a podcast mm. where you are interviewing, I mean, we had students interviewing your everyday women. You know, what is feminism? What does it mean to you? How do you navigate this world that tells you that you're not enough as a woman? That was more interesting for me within mm. a university space. So I think there are ways in which you can start to address some of these things without perpetuating the you know what the system does to pacify people the way in which i was taught was just so like okay we are the tower of knowledge here yeah. we're going to deposit into your mind because that's all you are so you sit there they deposit into your mind you don't even remember half the things that you were taught and the rest of your body actually do doesn't catch up with your mind so in the end you write these great things but you don't practice in real life mm. and so for me it wasn't important to have um, you know, this beautiful essay with like the right referencing and all that stuff and then people come out the same, still problematic and everything. You know what I'm saying? So it was very important. I was like, firstly, I'm not your lecturer, I'm a facilitator. That's all I'm here for, to facilitate dialogue. Mm. I don't have all the knowledge because I'm also still living mm. in this world where Nami, I've just learned that maybe I'm a feminist, maybe I'm not. I'm still trying to figure it out. Mm. Maybe I'm a womanist. I don't know <laughs> at the moment, but I, I mean, do. I'm in the process of I'm becoming. The, exactly. I'm in the process of becoming. So also for students to see you going through this process of unlearning and then making mistakes and all that stuff. So part of it... Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so hard. It's it so hard. hard to be vulnerable within higher education. Because also we, we've trumped it up, right? Yeah. We've like, you've got all these degrees, you know the things. How come you are not knowledgeable about this particular strand of feminist theory? How come you can't answer my question that relates to how I think about my engineering background and my philosophy background? What do I do? Like, I, 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 and I think that's also something I'd like for us to explore this season. Yeah. It's just like being vulnerable in a space where vulnerability can have like some serious material consequences. Yeah, it's you costly. can be seen as not serious. You can mm. be looked over for promotion because you're sensitive, because you've got too close a relationship mm. with your students mm. or whatever it is. And yeah, it's, it's something that I, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what is it to be vulnerable and like fully present with yeah. you know i think i think what helps also is being a product of these institutions so i mean i've been at vits since 2005 and i've had to sit and have people deposit things in my mind leaving sometimes leaving trash in my mind <laughs> and now i have to clean up and my mom has to clean up and my family has to clean up because mm. sometimes we learn trash in these universities <laughs> i'm not even gonna like i don't know sugarcoat some of the things that i've learned i've just had to check out because they don't work for me who was it fella Fella good teacher, mm. teacher, teacher, don't teach, teach me nonsense. Exactly. Don't teach me nonsense. Yeah, teacher. we can be taught nonsense. And, and <laughs> you learn, and because you need a mark, you regurgitate the nonsense to pass. Mm. But now I have a bit of power, isn't it? So now I can call <laughs> nonsense nonsense, and, and I don't have to live with trash in my head. Mm. 
I don't, I don't have to. So I think what I told myself was that I am going to facilitate, I'm not going to lecture, but also to acknowledge the trash that is in my head sometimes yeah. in front of students because I think that's very important because also the way in which students understand education is that they don't know much and they are coming here to get all the knowledge from this institution that knows everything. But actually, we are the ones who are depositing into the institution. Mm. And we are not just minds. Mm. So, you know, you have people... So I had students, you know, dealing with all sorts of issues, mental health issues, all sorts of things. And you have to be sensitive. Mm. You have to be absolutely sensitive. So when we talk about, like, self-care as a political act, mm. right, what are we talking about? Do, do I push that student and say, okay, no, I understand, Guti, you're going through a depression right now and you can't really focus, but I need this essay, like, right now. So how do you balance? Mm. It, it's so hard. It's and it so is. hard. And I love what you're saying, that it's not just minds. Students don't come as, like, these disembodied decontextualized blank slates mm. which are just going to be poured in with like all the relevant information for passing the exam because as you said these these students we who came through these institutions as students come with an entire history and an entire context an entire set of lived experiences yeah. which if they aren't acknowledged and it doesn't have to be because also one of the kind of critiques of why are we decolonizing institutions etc it's like oh now we're just gonna we're just gonna be all about people's feelings. So it's gonna be just about your feelings. We're not gonna do serious scholarships. Just yes, feelings, yes, yes. which is obviously a ludicrous kind of claim to mm -hmm. make. Mm -hmm. But it's also one of the strange kind of um, things we all need to unlearn about the fact that these universities are going to reflect what we value as the people who teach within them, mm -hmm. who administer, who study, all of us. Yeah, this is the institution we build, and so if we kind of sit back and we treat students as if they're these blank slates mm. the normative mold of what the ideal student is will not change exactly. it will still remain that same body mm. from that same background I don't know I mean I always said uh, there's a friend of mine she's a poet and I always used to say on Facebook like I didn't understand why her work wasn't being taught at, in the school of arts for instance and I said uh, I said, you know, the day, the day I lecture at I'm going to teach her work. And she thought, she thought I was joking. And I mean, she, she deals with issues of queerness, black womanhood in the world. And, and I find her work very interesting. Mm. Um, she's got uh, this phrase, no one wants a black woman with a mouth. When I, when I got the job, I was like, Malulik. that was the first thing I thought about. I was like, no, if we don't actually take the stuff seriously as people who who are products of institutions like this that never learnt about people like Viela Malulek. And then what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? So it's one thing to be a product of this thing, but it's also another thing to be a producer now of knowledge yeah. within the space. So as someone who is responsible for creating knowledge in the space, what kind of knowledge are you creating? What kind of environment are you creating? Are you creating an environment that is conducive for true learning? You know, where people actually can take the stuff and apply it in their own lives mm. and i think i could get away with that because black feminism is all about lived experience you theorize from your lived experience because sometimes i feel like when you're not theorizing from your lived experience it's so easy to other mm. because you don't know what it's like so i don't know i think it's very important to have women like us in the academy um women that are unafraid to be vulnerable or to speak even though it is costly because it is very scary and mm. sometimes it's very exhausting 
you know, to be the fighter, the warrior. I'm, I don't want to be in Bogoto all day. You don't want to be in Bogoto? Nah, fam. And I know, like, okay, yeah, those who are, you know, I don't know, people who love language and whatnot are going to start talking about, oh, it's metaphoric and whatnot. But also, metaphorically, I don't want to be in Bogoto. You don't want to be a rock home? I don't. Because in Yakal, I mean, I, and I feel and all sorts of things. And so, for me, theory becomes alive. It, it makes sense. And, and, and I feel like also to call it theory is just not sufficient because these are my lived experiences. So, you know, when I read all the women that have written about like being a black woman in the world, I can identify, yes, when I was way, way, this is what happened. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I embody the knowledge. So what I was telling my, student, uh, my students is that, you know, knowledge is not just book knowledge. It's the stuff that's in your body. You know, in, in the arts, they always say that the body always remembers. Mm. You know, it always remembers. You know when you walk into a space where you're unwanted. Mm. You know, you feel something like your body clams up and you feel that, uh-uh, here, this is not my space. So I feel like it's also important to think about alternative ways of creating knowledge. That's why I love being in the arts because through, through, through the camera, you know, through, through the stage, through music, um, through visual art, you can begin to uh, constitute knowledge. You know, and it's not just about, and also the way we constitute knowledge at VITS, for instance, it's very particular. So it's like, oh, according to, then you name the scholar, the year, page number, what, 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 quotations, in, 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 because this person has been certified. I mean, one of the questions that you get asked is, is this person legit? You know, where have they published and whatnot? You need a pedigree of some sort, which is really annoying because sometimes I just want to quote, ooh, and, and say that that knowledge is sufficient, but somehow it's not sufficient. So how do we make that knowledge sufficient? You know, and I'm not saying that you should just go to anybody and just ask them anything and then, you know, you don't do your research and stuff like that. But also there's something to be said about, you know, knowledge that is gotten through the oral. You yeah, know? certainly. And, and we, we spoke to Prof. Mshambe also about orator. Oh. Yeah, she's, she's average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, you're raising an important question about like, what do we deem is rigor? Yeah, yeah. What do we deem as rigorous? As, yeah. yeah. What is what is true knowledge? What is hearsay? What is speculation? Mm. And we can have these kind of dictionary definitions of these terms, mm. but how it actually plays out in our marking in our classroom practice turns out to be quite a different thing. You know, we we kind of like hype up certain people who might have very loose credentials, as it were. Exactly. And sometimes we downplay other people mm. who seem to have gone through the rigmarole to prove their mm. legitimacy, but still are not kind of like elevated or valued. And, and so it's kind of the, the strange process of doing appraisal of what is valuable and worthy. And so you didn't want me to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you this. We've moved, right? We've moved in, in the hypothetical linear progression of ideas. We've moved from first wave to second wave feminisms to third waves to consciousness raising processes. Now we are here. It's the era of being woke. Are you woke? No, I'm not woke. Because to be woke is, is to be in a kind of like a definitive position. Mm -hmm. You've arrived. That's it. You are woke. So mm. there's no sleeping again. Never gonna sleep. Never, never gonna sleep, never gonna sleep again. And I, I don't feel comfortable calling myself woke because I, I sometimes don't quite understand what it means because it changes all the time. 
So maybe I'm in the process of waking mm-hmm. or many wakings. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very complex for me because even the language of wokeness, I mean, I learn it every day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, I mean, I've gotten off um, social media. So sometimes I don't know what the new woke thing is to say. Um, I've been seeing a lot of Toluguti and I don't know. <laughs> you don't understand. I don't understand. I'm like, is this still part of uh, wokeness? What, what's happening? In other words, so I'm not saying Toluguti is woke, but I'm saying there's a vocabulary, a corner that I don't always have access to. So to be woke in 2017, I don't know if I qualify. Yeah. You know, I, I have no idea. But, I, I, I really want to explore this this season <laughs> because it's a term that's kind of thrown around and there's a particular aesthetic and you and I, you'll see our photo, <laughs> you and I, we, we are part of the particular aesthetic, the, the aesthetic yes. but often I think style gets confused. For wokeness. Yeah, or at least <laughs> confused for like some I, kind of ideological positioning, which mm-hmm. sometimes maybe... You, I've been growing up, my dreads, you used to have dreads, and a lot of people, you know, will say things to me that I'm like, oh, I'm assumed to be a part of a particular kind of religious community because I wear my hair in this way. Yeah. Which, fair enough, that's how I'm presenting in the world to, you know, maybe sometimes Woke people. presenting. There is an aesthetic. There's a particular aesthetic. There's a particular language, like you mm. said. There are particular spaces, especially in the city where we live in Johannesburg. But you can also point in New York, in mm. India, in Delhi, mm. or in Ahmedabad. Mm. It depends the particular kind of valence in mm. that space. Mm. So we'll see, this is what being conscious, this is what being woke looks like it looks like and i really want to i want us to really explore this i mean we're going to chat to um atambile for next week who's going to be talking to us because last time we we didn't finish our conversation on being a public intellectual so i want to i want us to really probe mm-hmm. this this season what what is this word well we keep using yeah and, um, and and what does it mean for different people in different spaces because i i can also recognize why it's useful to bring together a critical mass of people who are maybe online connecting around particular issues mm. and find it as a useful reference point but then also how we've been chatting about how it can also be used to gatekeep and exclude mm. and also is it going to serve the same purposes for all of us is being woke the same for everyone who says that word is it a political noun and if it's not a political noun what is it what is it i want to know i want to know maybe it, it should is. be a verb i don't know Awakening. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, or something like that. You know, kind of like Vugezubangen. Yeah. Vugezubangen. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a process. All the time, all the time. You have to recognize that like at some point you're gonna sleep. Because you're human. Yeah. So now to be woke, it, it feels like woke, full stop. Never sleep. Yeah, it's just Never like sleep. I am awake and there's no chance of me falling asleep. So... I don't know, and there is something to be said about the aesthetic. Does everyone have access to this term, you know, to be woke, you know? And those who are woke presenting are assumed to be woke. And then people... people to hear you talk about woke <laughs> presenting. Yes. Yeah, but it, it has a lot to do with, like, vocab and aesthetic, mm. you know, without actually practicing. It means you look the part, you sound the part, but are you that in real life? But what is it to be that? What I don't know. Life? It's acknowledging the fact that sometimes you sleep. <laughs> I think that's what it means. I acknowledge the fact that now we are. 
Now we are well, you you can't be woke all the time. You can't be woke all the time. You can't be, when we talk about intersectionality, I get you 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 are what? You are oppressed but also you are privileged. All at once. So those parts where you are privileged, uzo you are bound. Sometimes I get you born. You've got blind spots. Mm. So acknowledge yes, I am woke in some areas, but also I fall. So I find with this wokeness thing, there's also like a self-righteousness. There is no chance of you falling again and you know everything there is to know. To a point where sometimes, you know, question our own parents put enough. And yet when I look at some of the things that my mother has done. They are some of the wokest things mm. I've ever come across. I mean, my great-grandmother used to sell ujwala, mm. you know, to put everyone through school. And ujwala And so, you know, it's like, oh, you know, our, our, our grandparents, our, you know, they're so colonized. They're so colonized, like, we know better. And for me, I'm just like, but also can we learn from them? Because they had some kind of wokeness as well to, to, to give birth to kids like us that can then say, hey, the system learner is not working for us. It's not just coming out of nowhere. We didn't get the, the fieriness. Mm. We didn't get from this. Vits didn't make me fiery. My mom made me fiery. So So can we not also discount all the things that have been done by the black women, even when they don't put an X woman? Because my mom doesn't know that. She doesn't know low X, but she's done really cool things that would qualify as women with an X. You understand? So she doesn't have access to the vocabulary, mm. but she practices every day. So no, I don't believe in being woke presenting because my magana agana and she doesn't navigate these spaces as I say very sometimes you attend my talk and talk about reimagining and decolonizing. Man figure kaya, I don't know what to call decolonizing, but I know what my mom is decolonizing every day. These are things that we'll experience not only like in our coming of age stories within higher education, yeah. but in the workplace and just you know our self-discovery of like who are we now and it changes all the time we're yeah. gonna laugh at ourselves <laughs> 20 years from now also it's like this is who we were so but it's, it's not all bad no no it's definitely it's, not it's all evolution. bad it's evolution That's and it. sometimes devolving and sometimes yeah. evolving and sometimes yeah. just staying in one particular vulnerable space for a minute to just figure out where you're going next. Exactly. I mean, you would think that because I taught a course on black feminism, like I would know it all, you know? Because that's what I thought. Like, when I'd, I'd hear of lecturers teaching the course, I, I just thought, like, they know everything mm. until I taught. And then I realized that actually, you know, it's life. It changes all the time. And so theory, we can't rely on a theory from, I don't know, 30 years ago, sometimes sometimes it is relevant, but mm. sometimes you find some of the things are just not relevant anymore, mm. so we gotta move with the times. You know what I mean? So, for me, I'm realizing I'm actually in Ghana in this. I'm mm. still trying to figure out like what's what. So, yes, I do identify as a feminist. Yes, I'm anti-patriarchy. Yes, I'm anti-oppression. But also, at times, I still don't know how to make sense of the stuff that I know within my own community, as Olundi say, for instance, when mm. I'm faced with patriarchs within the family. Um, okay, in the space, how do I make sense of it? How do I make feminism like a reality within 
that particular context. And I don't know if it's my job to make right. it a reality. And I right. don't know. I mean, my family, I see like now and then. So now do I want to like change uh, my 60 something year old uncle and make him a feminist? Madam is very set in his ways. And do I want to exhaust myself when I only see him like three times a year? I don't know. So I pick, I pick when to, to fight because I'm exhausted because mm. I fight adverts I fight everywhere I go just simply because I'm a black woman so now I have to be like protect my peace the new rally and cry uh, is is protecting my time oh reclaiming but... reclaiming my time oh okay uh, she's a, a congresswoman a stateswoman uh, and she's she's brilliant and is very life-giving there's even a song engage yeah so colleague it is amazing to have you for the season you of for Academic Citizen. Me. Yeah. Uh, our season is going to be 10 engaging episodes where we are going to do the whole gamut because we are young academics, we are trying to figure out how to do this game and also we are not only known by our professions. And so yes. we're going we're gonna to talk higher education, yep. we're going to yep. talk life and we're going to invite you to come with us as fellow academic citizens and let's see how we make the pots to do the things that can be done. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, look forward to the next one. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at Wits. For more information, visit www.asau.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments, and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Research, scheduling, editing, and production was done by me, Simba Rashe Wondem. Jagger Merkel created our jingles.